Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're listening to Mumbrella Cast. Mumbrella, Mumbrella, Mumbrella Cast. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Vivian Kelly. Joining me to break down your week in media and marketing is Mumbrella's senior media reporter, Hannah Blackiston. Hello. And reporter, Brittany Rigby. Hello. You will have to forgive us if there's any extra background noise this week as we're recording live from our Sports Marketing Summit. Coming up later though, Tim Burrows chats with Melbourne's Gold FM breakfast host, Christian O'Connell, about his move from National UK Radio to Melbourne Breakfast. Can you grow a radio show at breakfast time in this really, really ultra-competitive city? The arranged marriage of Australian radio talent... You used to play footy. We'll put you with a reality star. Doesn't matter if neither of you have ever been near a radio shoot studio. And the radio ratings diary system. When it goes badly, you go, this diary system needs to change, but no one ever says that when it goes well. But first, the week's topics. Are the Logies outdated? Seven decides not to join the Barty party. CHE proximity serves up source with a cause. And tough times for 2GB. First up, CHE Proximity's Ben Shepherd locked the Logies firmly in his sights this week. He penned an op-ed for Mumbrella, saying the event makes TV look stale, old and terminal. In the piece, he compared them to Adobe Symposium, which also happened last week. I should disclose here that CHE Proximity does have a relationship with Adobe, which ran the symposium, which some of our commenters were very keen to point out in the comment thread and alleged that perhaps we weren't being transparent about that commercial relationship. Regardless of that, though, Ben did have some really solid points about the Logies, and it's a view that is held by many, some of whom have relationships with Adobe and some of whom don't. So, Hannah, looking at his quite negative view of the Logies, what was the response from TV Week, which organises the event? Yeah, so um, you actually reached out to TV Week um, and we got a pretty short comment back from them. Um, Thomas Woodgate, editor of TV Week, said, Sunday night was a superb celebration of the Australian TV industry with a vibrant and diverse lineup of programs and personalities being recognised. We will consult, as we always do, with the networks to look at what we can do to make sure we honour what's happening on TV. We are always looking at what we can do to keep things fresh. We look forward to an even stronger 2020. So I think I'm the only one with a microphone here who actually stayed up to watch the Logies. <laughs> Am I correct, team? Yes. 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 So <laughs> I did have that fun task. And a point that Ben makes in the piece is that it felt like the entire night was being satirised and roasted without many of the participants even realising that they were the subject of that roast and that it really, to the average viewer, would have looked like a wake for the death of television. I watched it and, I mean, there was clearly a roast. Tom Gleeson, who took out the gold Logie for allegedly being the most popular personality on Australian television, I don't think he hid the fact that he was roasting anyone or anything. He was very transparent about it, making fun of the process, making fun of the people. Then even when there were groans in the room, he made fun of that and made a joke about, oh, let's not make fun of the rich people. That would be inappropriate. <laughs> so surely everybody in the, new, in the room knew that they were being 
roasted. But I do wonder what's next for the Logies, given that there is this pushback that it's not really representative of television and people keep using words like he hijacked it from deserving winners like Amanda Keller and last year helped Grant Denyer win against the deserving winner Tracy Grimshaw. But Hannah, if it's a popularity contest and people can vote, surely if people care about it that much and don't want it to get hijacked, they could just jump on and vote for Amanda Keller. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I actually have a couple of questions here. Firstly, do you think having, as you were the Mumbrella designated <laughs> watcher, do you think that if Tom Gleason hadn't won and if Tom Gleason hadn't summed up the night with what was essentially roast mode on the entire TV industry, do you think it, people would have been as quick to point out how outdated the Logies is or do you think Tom Gleason kind of made it really easy to do that? It's a bit of a funny one for Australian TV networks and Australian TV personalities, I think. We're really self-conscious about the Logies and about TV's current identity in Australia. And that's really obvious from the fact that when a network or a personality wins, God, do they market it and God, do they advertise it. But when they don't win, you know, like Seven, which is our highest rating primary channel and network, won no Logies. So, of course, they're casting shade on the whole process. Suddenly, the Logies don't mean anything. Suddenly, they're not legitimate. Suddenly, they're not real. But yet, they do also want to win it at the same time. So, we question it no matter what happens. We make fun of it no matter what happens and yet they still kind of want it as well. I think what you've just done there is drawn a very good parallel to something else in TV, which people <laughs> often claim is an outdated concept, but then as soon as they're the winners of it, they crow about it, and that's overnight ratings. Correct, yes. Again, we love to say that the rating system is outdated and not representative of what's really happening because so many people are going online to broadcast video on demand and to catch up services. But if Married at First Sight pulls 1.5 million Metro overnight viewers in the preliminary stuff that comes from Oztam, you'll get a press release about it. They'll use it. Everyone will talk about it. Uh, the Logies has been in decline in terms of its viewership in recent years as well. Got a slight spike this year, but was still well under the 1 million Metro mark, which is kind of used as a benchmark. You know, if you get into those seven figures you think you've done well and when you slip into the 800,000s it's just not seen as that great but I mean how many people are going to stay up to 11.30 to watch the Gold Logie when they just draw it out so so much it did really feel like I was never ever going to get to the end. I think the other thing that people always question about the Logies is when you look at the winners so this year, we saw the ABC take home 11 awards, which is fairly phenomenal. Um, obviously, Tom Gleason taking home the gold Logie. But for example, most popular reality program went to MasterChef. Um, really, if you were to look at the TV ratings of this year, it would be hard to argue against Married at First Sight. Um, so I think that kind of always works against the Logies as well, where whatever their voting demographic is, is obviously not the same demographic as the overnight TV ratings. Yeah. The ABC taking home 11 awards when it's by far not the most watched channel on TV, I think it kind of makes the Logies easy fodder for people to point at it and say, well, it's not reflective of the landscape. Yeah, I guess though people could jump on and vote more if they wanted to. There's there's nothing stopping them and there's no reason that Tom Gleason's campaign had to be successful. It, it wasn't 
written in the stars. People seem to be talking about this like it was some inevitable fact that nobody could have avoided and it's not fair. He hijacked it. He stole it. He didn't even want it. Well, fine, but people still did make the effort to go and vote for him. And and his point was, I'm not the most popular personality on Australian television, but I exploited the media and I exploited the public to get an outcome that I wanted. That's what campaigning is all is all about. And I don't think it does mean the death of the Logies, but I think now there will be a bit of a rethink in terms of perhaps the voting processes or perhaps the campaigning processes because it does have a bit of an identity issue for probably TV Week and its host broadcaster Nine as well. I also wonder whether or not it's the general public that thinks that Tom Gleeson has hijacked their precious Logies or if it's just the industry. Um, a lot of the coverage I've read has been the coverage that we've spoken about with people quite upset about it or feeling like it's um, he's taking the piss, which, yeah, he's been quite open in doing. Um, but the people who voted for him and the, the general public, I wonder whether or not they're happy with the result or whether or not they think that actually, just like TV Week said, this is what the Logies needed to freshen it up to not just have the usual gold Logie winner. And if we're going to talk about gaming the system, there was a lot of controversy earlier this year when it was apparent that actors on Neighbours were encouraging Mm. UK Mm. viewers of the show to lodge Australian addresses so that they could vote when it's meant to only be Australian residents voting. So, I mean, if we're going to talk about gaming the system, not only did Tom Gleeson game the system, he gamed the system effectively mm. on top of others who were already gaming the system. He was also system. super transparent in doing he was, so. Like, exactly. that was the campaign. Yeah. That was his platform. Yeah. People liked it. Like, people love Alaricon. I yeah. think it appealed quite well to people. Um, yeah, I thought it was funny. And that speech, his speech has been, inc- people have been watching mm. it, people have been tweeting about it. They probably weren't necessarily watching the Logies to watch it, but it has drummed up a lot of attention for the Logies, which quite often comes and goes without very many headlines addressed to it at all. Well, look, Ben Shepherd from CHE Proximity probably doesn't agree with us. He does say TV cannot have its night of nights look like this if it wants to present as modern, progressive and relevant to all audiences. The Logies make TV look stale, old and terminal. So I guess we'll see next year if that death does eventuate. Next up, Seven's tennis programming decision. Wimbledon kicked off this week with day two seeing world number one Ashley Barty play her first match. But viewers watching the coverage on Seven didn't see that. Instead, they saw Nick Kyrgios and Jordan Thompson battling it out. Hannah, we've got a world number one here, the first Australian number one in a long time who's coming off the back of a Grand Slam win. Why were viewers not shown that match? Um, so basically, say Seven was given a choice because they don't have the rights to show uh, the tennis on two channels. Their broadcast rights only allow them to show it on one channel. Um, they've got that's through the deal they have with Foxtel. Um, so Curios and Thompson had already started playing. Uh, the match was, you know, quite contentious between the two of them. Curios, for once, was playing a good game. So I think when Ash Barty came out. So somebody at seven had the decision to cut away from a match that was already in progress between two Australian players 
and cut to Ash Barty's match, which obviously they couldn't guarantee would be as good, you know, arguing for their point. Um, so they decided to stick with what they were already airing, which was Kyrgios and Thompson, and instead show Ash's game in the cutaways. And look, it did rate for a multi-channel. Seven's very happy with the ratings that it got. So it was on multi-channel 7-2, I think, until about 11.30pm, and then they switched over to the primary channel of of 7. I have heard whispers that 7 are saying that the numbers that they got prove that they made the right decision. Now, they can pat themselves on the back for that all they want. I don't know that I agree with that argument in that we don't have two alternative side-by-side realities where we can see how the other option would have played out. So I think we can all acknowledge, yes, they made a decision. Yes, the ratings were fine. We can all high-five ourselves about that. But I don't think that means you can take it a step further and say, therefore, it's the right decision because the ratings were huge. Well, maybe they would have been even bigger had you shown Australia's number one, the world number one. And, you know, didn't they didn't they market a lot of this viewing off Ashley Barty and her likability and her momentum at the moment? This is what made it difficult a difficult one for me because they were very heavily plugging day two of Wimbledon with join the Barty party, you know, she's going to be on at 10 o'clock or whatever time it was. Like they were pushing it as hard as humanly possible to get people to watch it for them to then make the decision to not, or not to not air the match, but to only air the match in cutaways just to me seemed like a really (laughs) questionable decision. And also it obviously means that in the marketing, they were aware of her power. They were aware of how important she is in the, uh, in tennis at the moment. And yet somehow the programming decisions didn't match that. I am quite amused that they've used Barty Party. There was an instance back in 2018 when Seven was airing the not very successful Australian Spartan and they had a hashtag Sparty Party, (laughs) which is alarmingly like Barty Party. And that one also didn't work out for them. So on Twitter, they tried to get the Sparty Party going. And from memory, the only person tweeting about it ended up being a Seven employee. So it really, really wasn't much of a party for Seven. Do we have any word on whether Ash will get some airtime now or a seven remaining a bit non-committal on that they have advertised thursday's coverage with watch ash Barty at 8 p.m so really (laughs) it's going to be interesting to see how that goes so seven's happy with the ratings uh you know it, it did well was viewer backlash was it actually a thing or was it just a few people on twitter and and what was the sentiment towards seven for not showing ash there was quite a lot of people on twitter actually um i mean as per usual with anything on social media probably the noise looked a lot bigger than it was um obviously the ratings speak to that but i think the problem seven had here on top of a lot of other problems was that um ash Barty obviously is female curios and thompson are not and therefore they instantly faced the sexism uh commentary where you know, now they're not only choosing to not show one match for another match, they're choosing to not show a women's match for a men's match. And historically in tennis, as well as in other sports, there's always been that divide between women's not getting as much attention as the men's. So I think 
whether it was, as they say, just a decision made on the fact two Australians were playing in what was a good match or whether it was a decision that men's tennis would get more attention than women's tennis, either way, that's what the backlash has been. And yeah, sure, like Nick Kyrgios is well-known, he's controversial, but he's ranking in the 40s. Ash Barty is number one. She's also an Indigenous woman. So if you're going to market coverage off that, surely you have to then support women who are doing really well in sport, who are at the top of their game. It just seems like a really weird decision. Um, and I've seen a lot of people talking about it on Twitter, but like a lot of feminists as well. Um, Jamila Rizvi posted on Instagram about it. Um, so yeah, I, it just seems weird to me, particularly when she is doing as well as she is and Nick Kyrgios is nowhere near her in terms of talent. And then the other guy, like I've never even heard of him. So I think you've raised a really interesting point there when you said Nick Kyrgios is controversial. Is, you know, devil's advocate, did they potentially run the chance that Kyrgios might do something controversial and they've got him on TV doing something controversial as opposed to Ash Party, who's not going to be doing anything controversial? I mean, I don't think that's a controversial viewpoint at all. I think that's an (laughs) accurate summation of what what went down. You know, Kyrgios is known for his tantrums. He's known... Mm for his theatre and he's known for his drama, whereas Ash is well known for her composure in the face of snubs, in the face of bad calls, in the face of everything. You know, there's been other media coverage that she's not being put on centre court for her round two match despite being the world number one and the most recent Grand Slam champion. But she's always calm, she's always collected, she's always kind you're probably not going to get that on-screen drama from her. So in that sense, if if Seven was chasing the drama, they made the right call, but that doesn't mean they made the right call overall. Yeah, after the match, I believe um, Ash Barty was actually interviewed and they asked her what she thought about um, people watching the Curios match instead of her match. And she, as per usual, was very calm and just said, you know, like I got to play it, that's whatever. Um, whereas you can only imagine the response Curios would have given in the same scenario. All right, next up, CHE Proximity looks to cure homesickness with a charity campaign. This week saw CHE Proximity launch a campaign for Sydney Children's Hospital Foundation that's been two years in the making. The Mums Source campaign puts a spotlight on homesickness and what sick kids miss when they're in hospital. Brittany, you went to a screening of this campaign and there are lots of pro bono campaigns out and about. So what's special about this one? Mm, Yeah, so um, CHE Proximity Chief Creative Officer Ant White and Chief Strategy Officer Dave Holter hosted the screening and it was super evident that they're really proud of the work. Um, so it's a pro bono campaign that's been yeah, two years in the making, millions of dollars in donated media spots. Um, the CEO of the foundation, Nicola Stokes, was there on Tuesday night as well and she was saying that she was absolutely blown away by the level of work that um, CHEP did for the foundation and it's the first campaign that's highlighted homesickness as something linked to physical illness when campaigning for children in the health space. Um, And it's also an interesting campaign because it's kind of blurring 
what the film is showing versus what happens in real life around the film. Um, so the film follows a little girl who's in hospital. Her brother finds a note that she's written to say that she misses her mum's sauce and takes a photo of it, puts it on Instagram, and it goes viral. And so in the film, you have all of these breakfast TV hosts and celebrities and influencers talking about this little girl's note. That coverage was aimed to be replicated then when the campaign actually launched. So, yeah, it's a a really, really important piece of work, I think. So, Mum's Source, with Source spelled how the little girl misspelled it, Mm S-A-U-S-E, you were speaking about it blurring the lines and becoming real life. So, that Source is now actually being made uh, by Coles. Yeah, so Coles agreed to make the Source. Um, Chep and the foundation went to them once the script had been created, once they had the idea for the film and were like, hey, do you actually want to make this? Um, and they said yes. So they've been responsible for the manufacturing of it. They bear all the risk for whether or not it sells or not. So the foundation gets 50 cents from every jar sold and I think Coles gets around 40 cents. Um, so Nicola Stokes, the foundation CEO, was saying that she was happy with it as long as they were making more money out of it than Coles was. Um, so, yeah, it's on shelves in Coles across the country. Um, and the really cool thing, actually, that both Nicola spoke about and Lisa Ronson, the Coles CMO, was that the foundation's being provided with quarterly sales reports from Coles, and that's how they know how to split up the money. So if you buy a jar of sauce in rural Victoria, then your 50 cents will go towards the closest hospital in Victoria as opposed to going all to Sydney and then being split up or just going all to Sydney Children's Hospital. So they've got a target of $1 million and there are eight hospitals and 500,000 sick kids. That's a very, very big project. So talk to me about the sort of corporate partners or publishers that have come on board with this as well because it must need some additional support. Yeah, so they hope to raise a million dollars in the first year and really the first week is is crucial as to whether or not they meet that. Um, so along with Coles, they've had assembly label agree to manufacture and sell T-shirts that have the word homesick on the front of them. Um, Pasta Pantry is donating money from um, sales of dishes that they make. Uh, Disney is screening the Avengers films on um, a certain date and donating all of the proceeds from those tickets. Um, and then you've got the NRL who's involved, I think, a bit later in the year with um, players and matches around it. eBay is on board. Um, and then, yeah, the publishers you mentioned, there's news.com.au, Junkie, um, Daily Telegraph, all of the big ones who um, uh, appear in the campaign and then have also either run coverage or will be running coverage about it. And there's high-profile celebrities involved as well, Nicole Kidman, Rose Byrne, Hamish Blake, who are all – attempting to elevate this this message. So it, it feels like they've really, really thrown everything at this. Mm, mm, they have. And I think the fact that it's a cause that is something everyone can agree is an important one. There's, there's a real level of neutrality about it. Um, there's a lot of causes that can often be, you know, tied to political motives. Um, but I think the fact that we're talking about sick kids here – um, Dave was saying, Chep's chief strategy officer, that he's a dad, um, hit home for him really hard. Um, Lisa Ronson, the Coles CMO, was saying that she cried when she saw the film because, you know, she really responded to it not only as a person but as a mother. Um, 
So, yeah, I think they really, really care about it. It was super clear how much Chep wants this to work. Um, and they were super upfront in being clear that they don't really care if this is a good ad in terms of what it looks like for them or what it looks like for their reputation. They want it to be a good ad simply because they need to get donations. All right. On a less optimistic note, up next, a complicated week for 2GB. Chris Smith has left 2GB as afternoon host after a bit of a complicated back and forth, which involved him calling his employer out on air, the Daily Telegraph reporting on protests outside Macquarie Media, and of course, a change.org petition. Hannah, are there any plans for who will be taking his afternoon slot on Sydney Radio on 2GB now that Chris Smith is gone? No, that's what's kind of interesting about it. So um, there was kind of a lot of speculation that Steve Price would be taking his spot, although to be fair, I have also seen reports in the Daily Telegraph that Steve Price will also be leaving. Um, but at the moment, according to the 2GB website, Natalie Peters and Erin Molan will be on air till July 15. So I guess maybe they're buying themselves some time with that one. Um but yeah, it does kind of feel like, I mean, uh, after Chris Smith earlier in the week kind of called out on air that he was in negotiations with Macquarie Media, I think that kind of maybe forced their hand a little bit. And it does seem that maybe the crossover hasn't been handled as well as it could have been. So the news was announced right after Chris Smith's shift finished, which is at 3pm. And I think the news came out at about 3.15. He was then due to go on a three-week holiday, which they were very keen to stress was pre-planned. And then he'll finish up on air on the 31st of July. So Macquarie Media do have some time to replace him. We've obviously, thanks to the SEO gods, attracted some Chris Smith supporters in our comment thread who aren't aware of the debate about anonymous comments and are willing to put their names to the fact (laughs) that they are very disappointed with Adam Lang, the CEO of Macquarie Media. They're very disappointed with the decision. And as always, when there's talent changes, people are saying, well, I'm not listening anymore. I'm done with 2GB. This is ridiculous. And it's, it's quite similar to what happened when we announced some other radio news this week, which was Australian Radio Network's ARN in Perth. 96 FM have ditched the Paul and Lise breakfast show. Now, the audience upset for this one comes from the fact that it was announced during survey break when traditionally a lot of the hosts aren't there. They go away. So the audience feels like they didn't get to say goodbye to their radio friends, Paul and Lise. It's effective immediately and a new show will be announced in due course. Hannah, we're probably not that familiar with the Perth radio market compared to the Sydney one. Do you think, though, that just as a hypothetical, they should have been given a farewell? If you were a huge Paul and Lise fan, let's pretend you you listen to their show every day, would you have wanted them to to say goodbye or or would that have been too self-indulgent? It's interesting. I've actually got a um, bit of experience with this so I used to work for Sky News and during my time there um, we had a couple of changeovers that 
you know, maybe weren't handled very well. Um, a couple of people getting told at their desk that they wouldn't be on air anymore and then having to leave the building. And Sky News is very much of the opinion where if you give somebody who you've just given bad news to a microphone, especially if you put them out live on air, they are just going to say whatever the hell they want and you've got no recourse to stop them. So I definitely understand why um, 96FM wouldn't have wanted to give them that chance. However, I can also definitely see the other side of it as a viewer slash listener you, you know, this person that you have this weird connection with suddenly is no longer on air. It's just bizarre. And if you think about it, like, you know, a friend or, you know, somebody in this, you know, that you see quite often or somebody at work or something just disappearing out of your life and no explanation for it. And people do kind of develop that relationship with people they listen to every day. So you can see why people are mad about it. Um, but yeah, I think maybe that the risk of that does not outweigh the risk of giving somebody a microphone and them just blowing you to shreds on air. And that's not the only talent change we've had. We've had Chris Smith on 2GB. We've had Paul and Lise on 96FM. And some stuff went down on 3AW this week as well. Talk me through that. Yeah, so 3AW have dropped uh, football commentator Scott Cummings. He's an ex-AFL player over uh, some comments he made on his own podcast about sexual assault. Uh, So he and also ex-AFL player Dane Swan have a podcast called The Hump Day Podcast. Um, And they uh, did a segment on that podcast where they were looking up some definitions in Urban Dictionary. And needless to say, it went horribly wrong. Um, there were some discussions around sexual assault, um, primarily on a sleeping woman, and they found that very amusing, as did their producer, Ralph Horowitz, who I believe is an ex-footy show producer. Um, so it kind of happened, and then there was the usual social media thing where they got called out by somebody else, and they kind of doubled down on it, and they were like, oh, no, you know, we don't believe in violence against women. It was just a good old joke, ha, ha, ha. Um Domestic Violence Victoria got involved. 3AW, to their benefit, acted so quickly. Mm -hmm. By the end of the day, he was dropped. Um, We were talking off-air with Tim about this, and he was a little bit cynical on it and said that perhaps that's because he wasn't on, A, a very strict contract, and B, probably wasn't that big a member on their radio station. So it was easier to shaft him than someone else. Yeah, because I kind of compared it to Israel Folau, who obviously Rugby Australia are now facing massive backlash for not getting rid of him quicker. Obviously, that's a lot. uh, That's a much tougher situation than this one. But I do think it's good in this day and age that we're seeing stations do things like that where they're just not even taking the time to think about it. They're literally acting as quickly as possible. It's interesting that this somehow actually ties into our first topic of conversation, which is Tom Gleeson at the Logies. A key point of his both opening monologue and his Gold Logie acceptance speech was that everybody just needs to calm the fuck down and lighten the fuck up, which I think to a TV audience about a television popularity contest, Tom Gleeson totally has a point. But for those using it uh, in the instance of what's happened with 3AW and people saying, see, look, Tom Gleeson said we all need to calm down and this is another example of us needing to calm down. I don't think we should actually be drawing parallels between TV's night of nights and jokes about sexual assault and whatnot. So people are trying to make that link, but I'm not sure that they actually should. And I think as well the fact that they've they've come up with this segment, which on paper sounds terrible, like <laughs> They've known that it's going to be bad. They've gone through with it. It predictably has gone terribly. And then they've thought, 
yep, we're definitely going to put this out as podcast. Like it's not live radio. They've edited it. They've published it. They've received backlash that's predictable from the get-go. And then their apologies are really shit. How how do they not see why this is inappropriate? And I think as Hannah said, I was actually really impressed with how quickly 3AW acted. Um, it's not okay. And the fact that they've made that really clear is, I think, the best thing that could have happened in this situation. Well, I think that we'll have to wrap up the news chat for now, mainly because Hannah and I now have to run downstairs and get on stage at the Sports Marketing Summit. Up next, though, Tim Burrows chats to Gold FM's Christian O'Connell. So, Christian, I think a good place to start might be to talk about finding your voice because it's i know it's something you've talked about a couple of times in the past finding your voice as a radio presenter sure finding your voice as a stand-up comic coming to melbourne did did you have to sort of go through that process again yeah do you know what it's something i uh i'm obsessed with finding our voices in life and for me that's i guess being on stage and, and on air but also um in our lives you know, people trying to find their own voice in a relationship, a job, just in life. And as a dad myself, I see it with my own daughters and as they, you know, that how they find their place in the world. They're at that age now where they're trying to work out where do I fit in? Where's my place in the world? They're 15 and, and 13. Uh, but, but for me, um, doing almost 21 years in radio, I found that it's like a snake shedding skin. If you're lucky, you, you constantly keep evolving. And I've always, see myself as work in progress, but coming here, the other side of the world, um, I had to find uh, a different tone uh, and it had to it had to change. And I wanted the change. Otherwise, I would have taken the deal I was offered at Absolute. And, uh, and I, had a, I had a great show there that I'd built up for 12 years and I, and I loved it. But I knew it was time for me to change and I needed a new, a new challenge. I needed to find my mojo a bit as well. And I felt like, no disrespect to any of the people I was working with there. They gave me freedom and they empowered me. But I felt like I knew what the rest of the year looked like. And uh, I've been doing it so long, I knew roughly what I'd do on Valentine's Day. And there was no new challenge for me. Or, and so I needed to... But coming here, I realised very quickly there's some bits of... Some bits are, you know, you've, you've amassed all this experience over the last 20 years. There's some bits I can do here. Some ideas that I've brought with me. And there are other areas where I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this. This won't work. And at first you're like, oh, damn it. I thought I could get through the next 10 years recycling material. But it was actually, that's not right for me anymore as a, 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 as a talker on the radio. Um, and I should find new ideas. And that's also been really, really exciting. But yeah, in the last just over 12 months now, I, if I look back at, say, the first week of the shows, which I did two weeks ago, I went and heard it, I could hear it and cringe at times. Um, but now I can feel like, uh, I think with radio shows, stand-ups a bit as well, as much as you decide what the act is, if you're smart, you'll you'll you you hand it over to the audience, and they sort of go yeah, and a bit of this, and we don't want that. Then they hand it back to you, and you go oh, okay, and you kind of it's a it's a very dynamic relationship, and I like learning from the audience, which is why if you see during my radio show, I'm always sat in front of the texts and every email, good, bad, and ugly, and I've always been like that because you can learn from all of them. And I needed here, I really wanted to see a focus group, and at first it was brutal. They were just annoyed there was a British person talking. <laughs> that they didn't ask for and they didn't know who I was. And that's when I really started to get quite panicky, actually, like because I brought my kids over here and their whole 
uh, lives over here. My wife is on, dad on the radio, getting on with people and connecting. And I'd done that for years and then coming here and really, really feeling this massive disconnect and people going, go home. You know, people actually would text me in saying, a POM. They go and give a POM. And I was like, oh, maybe this was too much of a change for Australia. But they've grown. The number one thing I hear now from people listening to the show is, I hated you at first, but now I really love the show, which is really honest. I get it. And I wouldn't believe him. I said, I loved you from the moment you came on. I don't believe it. It was a, a seismic difference, a very bold experiment in a way that Duncan Campbell took and that, that we both made together, whether or not it would be too much, especially at breakfast radio. We're very selective about what we want to let into our lives in the morning. We're very vulnerable. We're tired. We're scratchy. We're irritable. So suddenly some voice, oh, God, it's a pommy. I can imagine we're going scan. And so fair play to the giving it a go, came back and we're like, oh, actually, this is, I'm enjoying the difference now. And that's, I guess, the only thing you'd really say about the show is it's adding to the difference on the dial in the morning in Melbourne. Well, you mentioned uh, Duncan Campbell, programming boss uh, at yeah. the Radio Network. How did it actually come about that you came here? Because as you say, it felt like, I felt, I think, to everyone in the Australian radio industry, as a Mistake. big risk. Yeah, and I yeah, think no, if you're honest... Risk, not mistake. Well, then you're, you're a kind guy. Uh, some of the rival bosses didn't see it like that. Um, and I'd have, been, I'd have been the same. You know, I, I said to my wife at one point, I got cold feet and said, I can't handle the pressure of this. This is too much. And it wasn't about doing the radio show. It was about, it's their lives. I've got two children and, and a wife. And if it didn't work out, I'd burnt my career in the UK. We'd sold our house as well. I said, this is just too much pressure. I just can't deal oh, with it. Oh, selling the house pre-Brexit. That's yeah, it's actually the smartest sure. thing I've ever done. <laughs> People keep going, did you know what's going to happen with Brexit? Went, I'm not that smart. I wanted a new challenge. It's nothing to do with that. Um, but I, it, I said to her, I, I can't guarantee that the show's going to go well. She said, but I, I'm okay with that. I, I, I'd be really upset if you actually said no. I'm okay with it not going well. Not going well doesn't mean they don't. You're great at what you do. I know what you do. If it doesn't work out there, that's not your fault. We'll come back home. You'll get back on the radio. I know you will. So that would took a monkey off my back. But it took about two and a half years. It's a long process. And of chatting to people, having meetings, then there's a visa process, all this. And, you know, and, in, and at first, I just thought I'd maybe get a late night show weekend show and earn my stripes try and see if it worked then and then when duncan went how do you feel about breakfast show i was like i literally tried to talk him out but i said i don't think that's a good idea uh i said maybe a nighttime show he goes no it's all you've ever done this is what you do and you should come here we're either going to let you do what you do best versus breakfast radio you know that's that's the offer that's it i'm only gonna i'm only gonna offer you a breakfast show and so as a big duncan could have really lost his his livelihood over me so you know um fair play he people in radio don't take risks very well we don't we don't innovate very well look what's happening and this isn't just true of australia it's happening in the uk as well but here in australia it's very very formatted you used to play footy we put you within a reality star doesn't matter neither of you've ever been near a radio studio that's where you'll just do radio it's like an arranged marriage get in there make a make a show it's become quite formatted there are people who are very good within that. I think Fifi here in uh, in Melbourne is very, very good. She's a, I've been a big fan of her since uh, her and Marty Sheargold. Yeah, let's talk about a few of the... Yeah, the, the, there's some, the there's some great talent in here. Obviously, mind. you know, everyone knows I'm good friends with Hamish and Andy. And been done, you know, we've, we've done stuff on each other's shows predating me being here in Australia, uh, going back nine or ten years. You did the sort of live broadcast yeah, that was amazing. the two shows. Yeah, it was great fun. They were live in my studio in London to the UK, my show, which was three million people. People. And then we were live, obviously, uh, drive time 
across all their many, 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 many stations all around Australia. And it was it was one of the most fun things I've ever done on radio. It was great fun. Um, so I've always been I've always admired those, uh, those guys. Going back, massive Tony uh, Martin Malloy fan. Love Mick and Tony. Great, great radio. Big influence on me. Um, Marty and Fifi, absolutely brilliant. American Rosso, so many brilliant shows. Jonesy and Amanda do a great show in Sydney. Carl and Jackie O. Carl has that big bombastic style, but he also has this sweet other side. And I heard. And they were doing the rerun they have on Kiss here in Melbourne. And I heard him tell this great story. And I was like, this is why he's brilliant. And this is, what I, this is the kind of radio I like. Is He told the story about how he'd, he'd gone to this, the sales team. and all, or He's obviously into his fast cars. If you've got that kind of money, what else are you going to do? Um, and they'd organize him to tr- go to a racetrack in Sydney and race all these beautiful supercars. However, as he says in the story, he's a big man. And some of these cars, he couldn't get into them. They had to undo the steering wheel. And he's very embarrassed telling the story. And the rest of the team are loving it because you don't hear him be vulnerable. He's always, you know, got the answer for everything. But I'm, God, this is really moving. I feel so humiliated. Well, you know, he's Carl. He's the big guy. And suddenly he can't get into one of these cars. And everyone must be looking and trying not to snigger. You know, and he must feel that, you know, what he feels about that. He's talking on the radio and then he uses it to create this great half an hour of, when were you too fat? And you got all these people calling in, this young teenage boy who couldn't do something and he couldn't get through a turnstile uh, theme park. And you were trying not to laugh, but you were laughing at the connection, the humanity, the, you know, the, 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 the vulnerability that we all feel. And it was a different side to him. And I, I loved it. I think there aren't many presenters I know who, you know, who would be that okay with laying themselves that bare on the radio and saying, this is who I really am, actually. I feel embarrassed about being this big. And I thought, he's, he's, he's good at what he does. He really is. I think with uh, you, 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 you sort of touch on that sort of connection to mm. audiences, and clearly that's a really big part of what you do. Is trying it's, to find we, it's what gets me out of bed in the morning is, is that. And I suppose that was the one thing that I found myself thinking about with, with coming to Melbourne is you, you, you've got all of these sort of, cultural weapons yeah. you can pull out of the tool bag you've got a shorthand haven't and, you yeah but maybe not all of them work here no, so and they didn't how how do you Trial sort and of error. think through what works what doesn't Trial and error and really really listening um i used to uh use had to use uber a lot and i would literally interview the drivers what areas do you like driving in what are the bad areas and uh, because uber drivers are in they know a city if you want to get to know a city, go around. And so I would be in Uber drivers and I still, and just talked to them the whole time. And they loved it. I got five-star reviews from them on their little app and I got a load of information. I was going, you know, and they were just, they just tell you about what's going on in the city. You know, even so they would tell me about stuff that people that they've overheard. And, and so I would, I would, if I went into a bar, I'd want to try and hear what they're talking about and learn from that. I was like a sponge. I really had to listen more that I've had to do before. And so, oh, for a job in talking, people don't forget, we're not very good listeners. We're great at talking, but we're not very good listeners. And the coolest, and then I would, make a, I would make a note on my phone during the show when we got topics that we got a lot of uh, calls about. And at the end of the week, I would go, right, what can I learn from that? Okay, they like that. They don't like that yet. Okay, is that? And I would listen back to it. Was it the way I phrased it? And so I had to, I had to learn and unlearn some new things, but that's what's, what's made it such an exciting year of my life. What a great opportunity to do that. And then to work through that and feel that progress and to feel the connection becoming new in a different way, that's been exciting for me and I guess is what gave me my, given me my mojo back. So tell me a segment that just doesn't, hasn't worked. What, what was one that just crashed? There'd always burned? be loads because you never know 
you know, and I'll never not stop trying to do new stuff. Otherwise, I'd rather not do radio anymore. The moment you sit back and like, I don't know if this is going to work, you know, it was like, for, I, the, the biggest thing last year, the biggest risk we took on the show was, I, le- I learned very quickly that obviously AFL is huge here. It's big in, you know, you've got a Perth team, you've got Sydney teams and uh, and, and, and West Coast, but it's, ma- it's massive here in Melbourne. You've got nine teams here. It's tribal, it's suburb against suburb, and it's historical. But I realised that it's all about the grand final. They're obsessed with it. And I've come from England, where it's up with soccer. However, it's not quite on top of each other like it is here. I need to be across this. I need to have an angle on it. I can't talk about, hey, what was it like in 95? What I can do is come up with a new angle on it. That and you had to choose a team. And I had to choose a team. And we turned that into speed dating. We had someone from each club on, you know, for 10, I think it was 12 teams and 12 shows. Um, uh, and so I remember we did something. I was, I was thinking, what can I do to have an angle on the grand final? It's their big showpiece. And that's when I thought, you know, grand could I get grannies to try and kick the ball on an oval? Which granny? Because grannies these days are not the old Mrs. Doubtfire. A lot of them do triathlons, you know. So they, not, they do not CrossFit. They're, they're really, really fit. And so, but of course the team were like, oh, I don't know whether they'd find that funny. And so I asked on air, nervously looking at the phone board in the studio, and I saw straight away 10 lines going. Because I'll tell you one thing about Australians, you love a challenge. And the moment you say, I'm not sure if you could do this or how far I kick it. Well, I can kick it. I'll kick it 30 metres. I'll come along to this. And within two days, we had over 100 grands that were desperate to try and out-kick each other. And that's when I was, oh, this is cool now. I've, I can take a few risks. And sometimes it's funny just being honest when you say this hasn't worked. You know, because I think it's as long as you're saying what the audience are thinking, they're not going, oh, I know he hasn't gone to any calls in 20 minutes on this and he's just moved on. But is he aware we do hear some of the bits of the show? So I think as long as you're honest with them and go, well, we won't do this again, it just tanked. Um, I think there's something refreshing about that. Sometimes you just hear shows where they just go, oh, that was great and that's great. And you know, no, it wasn't. It sucks. And I think it, sh- it should be like me going, this link is awful. Let's play a song, come back and start again. I think there's something very honest about that. And you're quite, I've noticed you're very, you're, you're respectful, but you'll be honest with someone if the call's not really working. Yeah, I mean, I hope they realise it's with an arm around them. Uh, but sometimes, yeah, I mean, there are some callers that will go on for ages. Maybe they've been on hold for too long and they add a little bit of mayo to the story and like, come on, there's no way that's true. Or, But I think it's more, hopefully it never comes across as having fun at them. I'd hate that, but fun with them. And I like it when you hear them chuckle, like, yeah, you're right, I did go on a bit there. Or like, Tom, we, 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 we heard this whole story now four minutes late for the news and it, the story's gone nowhere. You know, I think otherwise I don't like it when DJs go, great story, Tom, thank you very much. And this is going, oh, it's, not, it's not very good. Tom sucked there. Um, so, yeah, I think sometimes I'll be honest with them, but I, you also have to be honest with yourself and, you, and the same, you know, criticism when I'm not doing my job very well. Very nerdy detail, but I also notice a, a, a different stylistic point to most presenters. Normally, they finish the story and it's like, that was a great call to home, moving on. You always say goodbye and give them a chance to say goodbye, which is... I, mean, I hadn't even seems, noticed. That's interesting because I, I thought it must be the sort of thing that you you would have you you would have looked at and no, thought through. No, no, uh, everything I do is is uh, not that well thought out. No, it isn't. I wish I could say it is, but it really, really isn't. The only thing I need to do a radio show is headphones and a sharpie pen. I'm often scribbling, and the thing I've, I've I love doing is making the show in front of their ears. You know, like they called it said something. I said, oh, let's make a note of that. Let's do that. I literally said it out air, on air. I do this a lot. I use it to the producers. I talk to them and go, Marie, that's a great story. 
what someone called in and we were talking about your uh, school camp stories and she was saying how a friend of hers got stuck in the toilet and she tried to get under the cubicle door and she was quite a chubby girl when she was young and she got stuck and I said this is this is amazing you went to help somebody and then you needed help yourself there's a, there's a whole phone in on this tomorrow you try to do a good deed and then you're in a worse position than the person you're trying to help out I said there's something brilliant about that you don't see a superhero movie where they go and try and rescue someone that they need rescuing that's the sort of thing I do that's funnier isn't it those stories of almost success you know um and so yeah i but i i always respect the calls are a big part of my show so i i think i they deserve to be thanked um for being part of that yeah they're real lifeblood to me i loved and one thing i have noticed since coming here is i get more phone calls now to my radio show than i ever had in the uk and i was national three million listeners yeah and i was going to ask about that because looking at your sort of cumulative number in 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 moment i mean it's a great number it's something like 470 480,000 or something let's round it up to a million let's call it a million which is not it just sounds but it's it, it could be it sounds better but if you're doing the maths you you uh, wouldn't do that who wants to do maths yeah quite quite but do you uh, th- that adjustment of sort of playing effectively you, you're playing to a city stage rather than yeah. a national stage yeah right? i am how has that adjustment been? Does it does it feel like you're a little bit off Broadway or or not? No, crikey, not here with the pressure. No, <laughs> and the endless every five weeks. There's more ratings coming out. There's oh my word. There's nothing off Broadway about this. It's bizarre because a lot of people said that to me. Like, hey, you've been a national DJ for twelve years. Why would you walk away from that to go to Australia to speak to a city? And I kind of like I didn't think like that. It was like I've gone to go and really challenge myself and stretch into connecting and doing radio which i love and find my mojo again and i didn't get snobbish about it like that because it's a big city and what an amazing challenge to go the other side of the world can you grow a radio show at breakfast time in this really really ultra competitive city that didn't feel like off broadway to me it felt like actually off broadway but been staying where i was because i wasn't taking any risk i was somewhat i felt like i'd become you know those people is it celine dion's just finished like 15 years doing the hits I think you know how this one goes. It's Valentine's Day, so let's get you to call in. Uh, you know, it would have felt a bit like that. That would have felt the lazy, easy option for me. Now we talked about the the the, the ratings, which do come out a lot in Australia. The, uh, yeah. the the survey day. Um, I'm sure I, I read an interview from possibly back when you were in the UK. Talk about the flaws of the diary system in oh, the yeah. UK. We have a very similar diary system yes. here. Uh, but yes. you know, you're going okay. You know, you, as long you, as it's going okay, going. then you love it. When it goes badly, you go, this diary system needs to change, but no one ever says that when it goes well. So you, I think in the last set, you you overtook Eddie Maguire and Hot Breakfast. I yes, think for the third time in 12 months. Yeah, so, uh, so what, what, where do you feel your direction travel is? Do you... No idea, to be really honest. I do the show, and I can only ever put my best intention into that. I never, ever get concerned with any of that. I'm like, where am I aiming for? I wouldn't know how to do that radio show, to be really honest trying to target that listener and that age group i do my radio show i roughly know who i'm talking to probably someone similar age to me but i never exclude anyone i love the fact we get teenagers calling in because they just find the show funny and that to me is the highest praise is actually when you hear from people that aren't really in your i hate the phrase target audience but we have a target audience that's how it works you've got to have someone you you know you're, you're aiming for when you're selecting the material and stories i think great radio shows are made up not just about what you put in but what you leave out as well um and so where do i see my gap in the market no idea i can only do the show and hope that people are coming to that who want something a bit different um that's it and 
you know, the show's a year old. It's a very, very competitive marketplace. There's a lot more work to the, the show is growing. Um, it's pleasing that you see little pockets of like, oh, that's okay. The, the, the results are well. I'm right in the middle up against you. People like Eddie, you know, Sam Pang, these very big, well-known characters and personalities on big, big radio stations. Already a year I'm in the mix with them, which is uh, brilliant. You know, what happens over the next year or two, who knows? And one of the other things about sort of coming to a new market is you find yourself with a new sidekick, which is... Everything's new. Newsreader, production team, everything is new. And people talk about, you know, arranged marriages and that sort of thing. One of the things is listening, and, you know, and honestly, it's more to the podcast than live because I'm based in Sydney, but it's been really interesting listening to Jack Post, your sidekick's development over that time, because he clearly... You play a bit of a character as well. It felt like the character he played working with Hamish Nandy was, you know, this slightly unfair to use the word bumbling, but that's almost the character played. Whereas here it feels like he's smarter and funnier than the. Yeah, Jack and we know Jack would be very Nandy. honest about that. What's been really nice is, you know, is when you see people grow themselves and surprise themselves and you as well. That's, that's a great to be able to facilitate that. That's up to Jack. He's had, he's made those changes and I think he'd be honest and doesn't mind me saying this, but, um, you know, we had to have quite a few conversations. I've had to evolve myself, and Jack had to help me with that. And Jack, uh, uh, sometimes I felt he he would always default to a bit of a cartoonish character. I said, you don't need to do that. You know, there's more to you. Don't ever become one-dimensional. Don't become a kind of car- cartoon character. The show will only work one or the other uh, uh, with it being real. I don't want it to be radio. I want it to be real. And that means I want your real opinions. Don't just give me something because you think it's the first funny answer. I said, you know, and he is, he's really funny. Now I've said that, you know, it's, it's, it's great seeing him evolve. And I love hearing people come up to me and say, how funny is Jack? Because it's, it feels like he's, he's, he's also got his, uh, a spotlight on him on the stage as well. And that benefits the show. But personally, he's a lovely guy and he, he's made the show better and he's got better over the last year. Definitely. I'm glad you've noticed that. And how about the wider team? How are you sort of uh, gelling? Do you, do you think All about to be fired. Yeah, shame. Um, this is a it's nice way for them to find yeah, out. Yeah. I just send them a link on after Friday's show and go, you need to hear this, and thank you, but get out. No, they're really good. I mean, fair play to them. They're taking part in this Gamakazi mission. It must have felt like must, uh, that felt like a year ago where they're like, is this going to work? Will we get employment again if this doesn't work with him? And I work at a very different pace, a very different rate. Um, they weren't used to it to begin with, uh, but they all were enjoying being part of something different and new. It's commercial radio with the word commercial. Mm-hmm. How do you like to work with the commercial people, the salespeople? I've, always, I've done that job, and it's a really hard job. You know, a radio station, you know, a lot of the DJs, people like me, you hate the sales team. It's the grubby part. But I've always thought, well, I've done that job. And actually, if you work with them, you can get them to fund some really good radio. I wouldn't have been able to do the grand final last year if it hadn't been for the sales team. Um, they put together a you know a proposal. They took it to marketplace. They got a sponsor, um, and so it funded me doing it. It was a time of the year when um, we needed to get it ad funded really by a client, and they did. So, I, I, I my job is to to grow the audience and also to grow the revenue. And I've always been uh, I've always been across that as much as I can, you know, because it's part of my job. Um, and so I think if I can use that to my advantage, at the, it's because I've just been moving house. And I had to move a mattress upstairs by myself. My wife's just had ACL surgery, and so uh, so she's told me. I think she's got out of that. She's lazy. Uh, so she had to move. So I had to lug a mattress by myself upstairs, right? And as I was lugging it, uh, you know, and I said, how far do you think someone could drag one of these? 
And so go on Monday and I'm going, do you think, how far do you think you could drag a mattress? Because you know what strains like that. I could go 3K. You know, and other people go, I can go more than that. And so now I've gone to the sales team and said, could you get a mattress, two mattresses? We're going to put two teams, two people up against each other, give them two hours. How far can they get away? In two hours. I have no idea whether they just dump it around the corner and go, this is horrible. Why have we done this? But again, the sales team, I went to them and said, look, can you go in? It's a great way for you to go and speak to all your bedding clients that advertise on the station. This is literally a, a feature designed for them. When are you going to get this? Um, and so, yeah, I think we can work closely together, you know, and uh, also I, I know what pays my wages. And uh, I think you've got to just be honest about that. I've done shows for the BBC as well. And, uh, and commercial radio, but some people see commercial radio as like this grubby underworld. It is far harder to do a radio show in commercial radio because you've got ad breaks. But I think that also challenges you to be a better presenter and to make sure that when you're hitting the ad break, you know they've got a choice. They don't have to come back. You need to make sure that you are making it impossible for them to leave. And that, that makes you think about how you structure a show. You don't think like that on the BBC. You just think arrogant. Oh, yes, it's got to be hanging on my every word. This is the BBC. And there are times when, uh, in the interest of the listeners, you might have to say no to a commercial idea. Yes. Um, I mean, then Duncan's been very okay with the no's. Um, he understands... What's the worst all... commercial idea that's been brought to you? What was something so terrible? It, never it was actually a producer there. that wanted to take it to the sales team. And um, I still can't believe now that a producer actually came to me with this idea. Um, the sales team said, look, there's a dental client that wants to do something. And I was like, yep, yeah, absolutely fine. Let's find the right idea. He thought it'd be a great idea to find Melbourne's worst teeth. <laughs> yeah, I did not laugh, okay? I don't want to be hearing listeners going, yeah, I've got no teeth on this side. No, I'm laughing at the idea of how that. bad it was. <laughs> so, um, Melbourne's worst teeth is never going to be done on this show. If you ever hear me doing that, you know the show's struggling, and they've just given me a sweetener for some free fillings myself or crown. Um, so Melbourne's worst, uh, worst teeth was the one that stands out. The other one was, I don't even know, the same producer. Um, one day we were brainstorming before the show, about 15 minutes before we go on a lot, we, what we do every day. And he just went, oh, by the way, do you want the number of a swearing parrot? And I was like, what? We're not even talking? What do you mean swearing parrot? He had the phone number of someone who owns a swearing parrot. <laughs> if this show ever does get to number one, I know how I'm going to celebrate. Ten past that, I'm going to get that swearing parrot on. <laughs> So, yeah, same producer, Melbourne's worst teeth, and do you want the number of a swearing parrot? I mean, that's why he's got the job. <laughs> and watch out, Eddie, okay? You haven't got that guy working on your team. Now, a couple of other strings to your bow. We've, we've, we've touched on the fact that you do some stand-up comedy. Do you see that being another part of your life in the future? Yeah, it gives me... I love dipping in and doing it. You know, it's not my job, but... um. I, I love doing it, and uh, it was another part of me learning about... It's another way to learn, get in front of people, get up there in front of an audience in a pub and see what they laugh at and why, and try and hone it. That was another way for, to get an instant connection. Um, so, yeah, no, I've, I've, that stand-up will always be something I, I dip in and do. Um, I was hoping to do a show last year at the Comedy Festival, but it was just too soon. Moving out here was just overtook my life and I needed to be around. It was enough to launch a radio show without trying to put together an hour long stand up show. My first one, I would like to do something next year at the festival. Definitely. But I still get a big buzz of just going and doing 20 minutes and, uh, you know, in some of the comedy clubs here, Melbourne's got brilliant comedy clubs, but yeah, I will definitely do more. I would do stand up. Yeah. Always. And also you're, you're an author radio boy. And I think there's now a sequel as well. Uh, yeah. Touching on your, your brief career as a hospital radio DJ, which Very brief. we might need to explain the concept sure. of hospital radio. For yeah. Australians. It's quite a unique concept. Um, 
hospitals in the UK have a radio station in the hospital that can only be heard in the hospital for sick people on the wards. And put it this way, right, the people that do it, they're not paid, they're volunteers. So you imagine the kind of people, bless them, that, that run that. They're not the best, and they'd be honest about that. If I'm dying in hospital or recovering from an illness, do you want to hear a postman uh, doing a radio show or an actual paid professional? And thank God they're there. I got my first break doing a hospital radio show. And, you know, I learned how to press all the buttons and stuff like that. But I got sacked. The only job I've ever been sacked from after six weeks. Can you actually sack someone you don't pay or a volunteer? Technically, it's impossible, isn't it? You don't pay me. What are you sacking me? I did a Sunday night show. They had no listeners anyway, right? There's no one listening. Imagine it's Sunday night at 10 o'clock. You're not listening to hospital radio, okay? You're on the medication or whatever, watching TV or asleep. You're not listening to some... 16 spotty 16 year old like me and i'm a minute thinking no one's i had a request show and we had no listeners so i had to walk around the entire hospital two hours before the show going up to people you know who are ill going excuse me would you like to have a song played on my uh hospital radio show and they'd all go no please go away you're scaring me so i just have to make up requests <laughs> and i remember i've been so bored about an hour into the show after six weeks i just I was playing a song and it was back in the day of vinyl I was only 16, and I still can't believe I did this. But I just suddenly stopped the... I think it was a Frank Sinatra song midway through it. I went, oh, that was for Elsa, but we just heard, Sally, she's died. So there's no point playing any more of it. Let's get another song on. And we had a couple of complaints, and I didn't know there was any people listening. I got fired the next day. Well, then, right now, I think it's a really sick joke, but it's kind of funny as well, a 16-year-old to do that. <laughs> I'd be in a lot of trouble if I said that now. I'd be even in more trouble in the, you know, hashtag era. I'd be a hashtag. But it's at least given you the inspiration for, I, th- I think Radio Boy actually owns his radio station in his shed. Is That's that right, right, yeah. Well, these days, if I was a kid now, I want to get into radio. It's not, I do get emails from people saying, I want to get radio, what should I be doing? They're teenagers. Like, Why aren't you doing it? You can do a show now on your phone. You've got podcasts. You've got YouTube. You can find your voice quicker. Why do you need someone like a radio boss to say, yes, you can come on the radio? You don't need anyone's permission anymore. Get out there and use your voice right now. And just finally, Christian, what does success look like? Um, I think not being um, homeless in Australia and trying to ask listeners to get enough money to send me back to Bommyland. Success means, I guess, for me, having come all this way out here and spent the last year, you know, going through everything we've been through as a family and and then the job as well and the radio show. Success would mean um, that myself and my family enjoying our new lives here and that continuing. What's been really nice is, yeah, we came out here because I had a job out here, but I can see how it's changed my children. They will always be forever changed um, through going through the last year. And as a parent, the only, the only the best thing we can give kids is uh, resilience and self-reliance. It's actually very hard to install and teach, uh, but they've done that the last year. We've had to change schools with them. They found it really hard, the ages they're at. And also, girls of that age are bitchy little moo cows. Boys can be as well, but girls are very, very judgmental. And you're growing up a young girl in a very judgmental time now, online, around you. And you're a foreigner, you're an outsider. It's a lot for them to go through, and I don't think wife and I really factored that in. And uh, they've had to go through that, and now they're in a they're different mini people, and it, they don't realise it yet. They've ne- they've not said thank you, and uh, maybe they never will. But I can see the change in them. That's success.
as a as a as a as a parent, and who knows where they're going to go with that now? And my wife's starting to think now as well through this whole experience what she might want to do, and she's retraining at the moment, might want to go and be a counsellor. Who knows? But she's now looking about what she wants to do. That's success for me. It's 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 it stops it being just about me. And we've come here for my radio show, and everyone bow down when I come back. I've slayed them again, the locals, and win them over. It's it's about everyone on their on their paths as well. That's what success is, isn't it? Is going down our paths and growing through our challenges. That. Christian, thanks so much for your time. I really enjoyed this. You know, next time I'm off on holiday, you can do the radio show. You're very kind. Oh, the audience would love that. Oh, it's another pommy, so he only lets pommies look after the show when he's away. <laughs> <laughs> you can look after the shop. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this week. It is worth noting that Friday the 5th of July is the final deadline for publish awards entries. And nobody can miss a deadline like publishers. So just wanted to give that reminder to everybody. It is one of my favourite nights of the year and we have really diverse categories this year to reflect the true nature of publishing. So there's things there for print mags, there's things there for podcasts, there's e-commerce strategies, there's awards for sales teams and individuals and publishers, all sorts of categories that really reflect modern publishing and how it's doing and how it actually works. So head to mumbrella.com.au slash publish awards for more information. For now though, thank you Brittany. Thank you Hannah. Thanks. 